I want to lay hold of you as my savior. So for John, the writer of this book, even though there, there, there are two parts to what God requires of people, believe in Jesus and love one another, even though there are these two parts, it works as a shorthand just to check for the fruit, the love. If you see this kind of love, it's a verification that this is a person who has an authentic relationship with Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jeremy had a sing, they'll know we are Christians by our love, which was a much-loved campfire song for those of us who went to Christian camp in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's a lovely idea, right? It's very attractive, this idea. I want to be part of a movement that is identified by compassion and kindness and mercy, right? But it's also something that we need to think about with some seriousness, isn't it? Because you may be aware that among many of our neighbors, it doesn't work this way, right? That Christians are not known for their love, actually. That for a number of folks in our community, the, the word association game, right? What do you think of when you think of Christians? Would not produce that list. Love, kindness, compassion, mercy. And there are a variety of reasons for that we could get into. But it's sobering to consider to what degree is this actually true that we as individuals and as a church are observably characterized by love. I, I want to take some time to, to, to work through three things that John teaches about love. And the first one, verse 12, it's kind of dramatic. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Like, wow. And that refers to Cain and Abel, who were the sons of Adam and Eve in Genesis 4, at the very beginning of the Bible. It was the first murder. Now, this may take you aback. Right? If we lifted it out of scripture, if I said to you, now don't be like Cain. Um, because even if I may wonder if, if my life is actually observably characterized by love all the time, I still want to say, but I'm not a murderer either. Right? But, but what John is doing is he's contrasting love with its opposite, which is hate. Right? He's drawing a sharp line in, in the same way, really, that he did in the passage that Angelo took us through last week. Um, last week, the question was, are you children of God or are you children of the devil? And, and that passage, I'm sure, was hard for some of us because the contrasts are so sharp, so black and white, all or nothing. Are you in this camp or are you in that one? And, and here, too, it's do you love people or are you a murderer? And we're like, are those the only two options, right? <laughs> um, 
but here's the thing, right? Because part of what we need to be rescued from, each and every one of us, is a heart of, of malice, of, of coldness and resentment toward other people. Um, Titus, uh, the book of Titus, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, gives us a, a, a short, chilling sentence describing what life was like for us before we met Jesus. And this is what it says. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And as you reflect, of course, this isn't all the time toward everyone, is it? There, there, there's a, a goodwill and kindness that we do see broadly in human beings around the world. Um, it's a legacy of the image of God in people of every culture. But there is this too, right? And, and you know, you know what malice is like in your own heart. Um, I do. That ugliness toward another person. And, and what can reside in my heart can really be something like the spirit of Cain, right? This, this festering, rotten thing at the back of my heart towards someone who has wronged me. Or towards someone whose life is easier than mine, right? To whom doors seem to open magically as they walk down the road. Uh, to, that, Things come easily while I struggle. And you can meditate on these things, the unfairness of life, and you can begin to despise that person. Why did Cain kill Abel? Uh, John says, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Um, you can read the story in Genesis 4. Um, and what you'll see is that, that Abel uh, received a, a, a kind of approval from God that Cain did not receive. And Cain was embarrassed. He was ashamed and he was angry. Um, th th there's this sense that there's been an evaluation and I am not measuring up to my brother he has what I don't have. He's achieved what I have not achieved. Just thinking about him makes me feel bad about myself. And, and this, this kind of the whirlpool of, of shame and, and self-consumption and self-pity. And, and instead of crying out to God for help in that place, you can allow, as, as Cain did for shame and envy and resentment and self-pity to, to come together in this toxic soup that, that leads to hate. And sometimes it's not just toward an individual, but toward a group of people. Do you remember hating people? What that is like? Is that part of your, your testimony? 
of how Jesus rescued you from resentment and, and malice. Um, another question would be, is that part of your experience today? Um, do you hate anyone today? And, and I think many of us want to, want to say, no, I don't hate anyone. Um, but a, as I prepared this passage, a, a question that I found uncomfortable to think about was sort of the next question, like just adjacent to that one. Right? So if the first question is, who do you hate? And, and you kind of dodge that one. Then the next, the next question is, who in all the world are you closest to hating? Is there anyone at all that you almost sort of wouldn't mind if bad things were to happen to? And that was not a question that I could so easily dismiss as irrelevant to me. That one got a little too close. And friends, pay attention to that. Because malice will eat you alive. Right? That'll kill you. Um, John is saying, first point, that a genuine encounter with Jesus breaks malice and hate. It, it has to. Um, because... Jesus Christ came into the world to interrupt the culture of murder, to rescue the family of Cain from that way of life. In Christ, God has treated you, who were his enemy, with kindness. And the experience of being treated with kindness and mercy, if it gets through to you, your heart at all, has to result in a readiness to show mercy to the one whom you resent. Because he or she, or they, um, we are all people in the same boat. People who could have received the due penalty of justice, but instead got mercy. And when God extends mercy to you and you put faith in Jesus, the mercy bearer, uh, then John says you pass from death to life. We, we've moved out of the, the mindset of murder and we've moved into the mindset of mercy that gives life to others. Um, the Spirit begins to teach you a new thing, to love those whom you have resented. Uh, this is a good quote in your outline from I, Howard Marshall. Uh, a person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. Because that is the nature of the God that you are entering into a relationship with and you become like him. A second principle, let, let's put it this way, Real love is sacrificial. Um, okay, so here's what I know how to do in my own flesh. I know how to do general goodwill. Okay, so what is, what is that? that? That's when I step out of my house and I wave to my neighbor across the street. How you doing? Right? 
while I get in the car. Um, that, that's when I read the news and I shake my head over destruction in Ukraine or, or floods in Kentucky or violence in North Philadelphia, and then I go on with my day. Right? And I am not troubled. The, the, the condition of my neighbor doesn't really affect me or change my plan for the day. Um, general goodwill feels okay. Right? I, I feel like a decent, caring person, which I like. Um, but the problem is that functionally, in terms of what it does, general goodwill is not dramatically different from indifference. Uh, in fact, they live next door to one another. Um, general goodwill will make the appropriate sympathetic sounds when it encounters human suffering. Um, but as a general rule, it does not go looking for human suffering. Um, I, I can do general goodwill in my own flesh. General goodwill does not want to be inconvenienced. Uh, it, it, it's willing to give a little bit to feel better, but it does not give in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that hurts, that results in my not having what I need or want. But then there is Jesus. And fortunately for us, Jesus does not do general goodwill. So verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Um, isn't this helpful, the way this verse presents it, right? This is how we even know what it is, right? You, you and I, we don't know the first thing about this kind of love in and of ourselves. Our instincts are so self-protective. We are so innately self-concerned. We, we draw lines all the time of how far love will go. Jesus shows us what love is in that he laid down his life for us, um, Jesus Christ does not wish me well from afar. Uh, he does not stand at a distance and, and wave from across the street. Um, Jesus did not see me in trouble and say, gosh, I'm sorry, I hope everything works out. Um, no, right? Jesus crossed the street. Jesus puts on human flesh. He becomes one of us. He identifies with us. He touches the leper, and he engages the Samaritan woman in conversation. He eats with the tax collectors and sinners. He crosses the Sea of Galilee in a storm on a mission to find one demon-tormented man who is raging naked in the tombs and cutting himself, right? Jesus goes looking for that man to deliver him from his trouble. He goes looking for you. And Jesus takes on himself our sin and sorrow and bears it to the cross. The Jesus follower is called to learn this kind of love, right? not just words but actions, 
lived out in the physical world of, of needs, uh, something to eat, something to wear, medical care, a roof over your head, a rescue from danger. Will love for people cost you something? It will. It will. It will be disruptive. It will be inconvenient. If I take interest in another person's trouble, that trouble spills over onto me. It does. And that is the path Jesus takes you on. Uh, last thing, briefly. Uh, I think we need to remark on this. So it says, it, it, it's, it's sprinkled through the, the whole book, really. It says repeatedly, love one another. Right? Meaning, within the Christian community. Right? Work out active, engaged love among those who know and follow Jesus. Uh, so let me ask you this. Which is harder, the call to love outside the church or, or inside? Um, you are actually called to both. Um, if you've been talking to people, if, if you pay attention, you know that there are a, a, a number of followers of Jesus who are walking around with church hurt. Um, many of them aren't here, right, because church has become scary. Um, profound disappointment uh, sometimes, uh, sadness about the way things went down at church. Um, that is among the reasons why, for some of us, doing church on Zoom has been kind of appealing, uh, even longer term. And I get that. Um, but listen, uh, God, God has a big loving purpose for the redemption of all things everywhere. And a fundamental building block of the restoration of all things is the restoration of human community. This was the plan from the beginning that, uh, that Jesus gathered around himself a community. And he poured into this small community and he impressed upon them, you all need to love one another. And from the start in that small community, Jesus has not kind of gone on to plan B. Um, it, it is still the plan, a countercultural, diverse community in which men and women, boys and girls, all ages, many backgrounds, uh, learn how to love one another. If Christianity is a, a, a learning experience, walking with Jesus, Christian community is the lab. And, uh, you know, sometimes you want to go, can I bypass the lab and just study the textbook? But Jesus says, no, the lab is required. This is where you learn to die to yourself to bear with people different from you, to learn from people different from you, 
to grow into a way of life that is not instinctive, but new and, and different and sometimes uncomfortable. The community is a necessary aspect of the all creation redemption project. It's also delightful, by the way. Um, Susan always tells me this when I do weddings, that you, you talk too much about how hard it will be and not enough about how great it will be. <laughs> um, the community is also lovely. But it takes courage. Jesus is calling you to be brave and trust in him and step out to do community with your brothers and sisters. Um, so I don't know where everyone is this morning with Jesus. Um, for some of you, these words may have rattled you a bit. Um, you're still thinking about that passport check. Um, that might be good. Um, for most of you, actually, John intends these words to be encouraging. Not condemning, but actually validating. That, that as you consider what has happened in your life, that you find that Jesus really has begun a good work in you. Um, breaking the cycle of malice and resentment. Uh, teaching you to begin to cross the street and enter into the lives of other people. Um, giving you courage to, to do relationship with the community. Good things have begun, right? It's real what Jesus has done in your life. But even with that encouragement, I hope too that uh, you will still feel a little desperate, right? kind of aware that your education and the way of love has just begun, that you don't really know what you're doing. Um, so the takeaway from this passage is not to enter into a period of, of navel-gazing. right? So whether you are shaken by your lack of love or, or, or just kind of appropriately humbled at how far you need to go, the, the solution is the same. The solution is look to Jesus. Um, engage with him, talk to him about these things, right? So the rhythm is, the rhythm of life, believe in Jesus and love one another. Believe in Jesus and love one another. Believe in Jesus and love one another, right? Believing is not just one and done. Uh, it's an ongoing way of life, looking away from yourself, crying out to him, he is the one who has shown us what love is and who can teach you to live in this way more and more. Amen. Let, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you have not stood at a distance and wished us well. Um, thank you, Lord, for your pursuit of us um, thank you that uh, you have shown us what love is by laying down your life for us. And Father, we would just pray for, for each of us for more and more of a genuine, living uh, relationship with you in the Spirit. That the one who, who loves in this way would, would increasingly capture our hearts and teach us this way of life. Um, 
please give us your spirit that we might learn to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.